Infinite Spaghetti, your world of the creative universe. Here we come for another episode. This week's show, Kevin Ward, sci-fi makeup artist. He does it all self-taught. We're going to ask him many questions, but first, this is Infinite Spaghetti, a guided tour of the cosplay and creative archives with your host, Ethan Minsker. Part of the Project Nerd Podcast Network. Reviews, not graphic novels. I don't want to mislead you. Just plain old book reviews. Here we go. Let's dive in. Quick Takes, Haunted Homes by Dahlia Schweitzer. So this is like one of these academic books. It's actually a very good read. If you're going to do a film about haunted houses, if you're into haunted houses, if you just want to know all of the background about films and haunted houses, this is an interesting book. Small, short read. Quick Takes, Haunted Houses. I enjoyed this because I'm familiar with haunted houses. We all are. This goes through kind of the whole political and artistic backgrounds, all of the kind of really deep dive into what makes these shows, why it's important. All right, so definitely check that out if you're into haunted houses. If you're not, if you're a film fan, if you're making horror films, good book to check out. Okay, poetry. I know. I know what you're thinking. Poetry, really? Amazing poetry by Puma Pearl. This one's called Birthdays Before and After. I really enjoyed this. Amazing writer. If you're not familiar with the New York City poetry scene, Puma Pearl is a classic, amazing writer. That's my two recommendations for this week. Here we go. Let's bring on our special guest. You just tell us who you are, what you do, whatever you want to talk about. I'm taking myself off. I'm watching. I am a self-taught effects artist, kind of makeup artist. I guess just artist. That's who I've always been. Remember in school, I used to draw and paint a lot. And then when I got older, it's not even when I got older, just even when I was a kid, I used to like watch movies and I kind of like this whole idea, like this escapism of just being in a different world and able to hang out with like weird characters and stuff. And, you know, I, I always knew like that's, that's something that normal people create, but I always wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to be a storyteller and like a creator of cool stuff. I loved movies like The NeverEnding Story. I love Tim Burton's movies, Nightmare for Christmas, of course. And it just always made me want to do it. And entertainment matters so much. And when you're an, an artist, you can be somebody that gives that to the world. I, I was painting today even, see, it, it, it never stops for me. I get the inspirations, you know, like growing up watching, I used to read like a Fangoria. Inspiration of mine was just kind of perusing the magazines of the bookstore, seeing Fangoria, seeing kind of all the smoke and mirrors made me think, you know, other people do this. I want to do it. It looks cool. So give us kind of like your origin story of like, how did you sort of get into this? How did you launch into this? Well, you work with what you got. I mean, when I was growing up doing this, my creative outlet, I guess, was relegated to like a, a notebook and a pencil, like drawing cool things. But I remember I used to start making dioramas out of construction paper and like cutting flat patterns before I knew what a flat pattern meant and drawing like my favorite characters. And then, of course, as I got older, Halloween was a good opportunity to start kind of like pushing the boundaries of costume and disguise a little bit more. And then high school theater gave me a little bit of knowledge and tools to know how to 
start using makeup. For example, like look older. We did a lot of that in some of the plays we did. And then while I was doing theatrical arts, I was still continuing fine arts. And I really wanted to merge the two. And I, I grew up in Wyoming. I, I knew that I probably had to go somewhere else to really continue this. I ended up moving to Denver, Colorado to go to art school with a focus on special effects. I interned at an effects company called LaFond Effects, who I am still very close to. In fact, that's where I was today, making giant mushrooms. You probably wouldn't guess that's what the white paint's from, but yes, that's what that's from. Interning at a place basically just made my library bigger. Like I said before, you know, a kid could go to the, the art store and buy some supplies, real basic stuff, or maybe get a book on how to draw. But then when you're interning in an actual shop, you start discovering things like latex, plasters and silicones, styrofoam, you can make almost anything out of. And so it just makes your palette so much larger. And I started doing haunted house stuff. The 13th floor is here in Denver. We have a very big honk community and I was involved with them for almost 10 years. Learned a lot there. And there's also a pretty strong film community here. So it's like, it's always a hard question to answer. How did you get started? Because really there's, everything starts from like just a tiny little seedling, which I guess was me in kindergarten sketching on paper. I guess the more you're doing something, the more you look for it. You don't, you don't want to settle. You want to like keep this flourishing. And so getting into the theater department helped. And then from there, going to college and getting an internship help. From there, going into a haunted house, working with an even bigger shop, kept on just adding tools to my arsenal. I guess that's how I got into it. It's, a, it's always a really loaded question. One, that, one that's kind of hard to answer, but hopefully I did it somewhat succinctly. I, I tried anyways. Denver seems like a, an odd location to have like a special effects firm. Probably completely wrong, but I'm assuming that most of your work is LA or New York based. I mean, that's right? where I've been for a long time and I've gone to both those cities to work. In fact, I was in New York just a few weeks ago. I don't think people come to Denver for effects. But Denver has, well, we have Meowulf now. It's brand new. We have the Haunted House. Uh, we have Elitches, because I worked in the art department at Elitches for a while. It was it was one of the Six Flags amusement parks, and then it was no longer Six Flags. Now it's called Elitches, but it's, yeah, it's an amusement park. It's got roller coasters, the works. So I spent some time there working with those guys. There are avenues to do effects here in Denver, even though it's not a destination for effects. Denver at least has given me enough to work with as far as becoming an effects artist. So now if I am hired out of state, it's not uncommon for me to like go somewhere else. New Mexico even has a lot going on and they're our neighbor to the South. So I wasn't trying to slag Denver just to clarify, just curious. Denver needs, to, Denver needs to get better though. Make no bones about it. Like Denver needs to get better. Because I, I don't think there's enough. Yeah, there's a good sense of community here. It's hard. Like, we don't have major productions coming. The upside, I will say, is that I don't find Denver to be very competitive at all as far as being an effects artist goes. If I was in LA, I'd be having a much harder time. I, I have a lot of friends out in LA. I don't think that's for me. If I, if I had to pick a city, I, I would take New York over LA for sure. As somebody from New York, we say thank you. I love New York, actually. Right? LA. You started it. So. All right. We got a comment from Jay who was on a past episode of the show. He should intern with Stan Winston. Is Stan Winston the guy who did the effects for like George Romero? Stan Winston's best work to me is the Jurassic Park. You know, I like so, learning from anybody. If I had a chance to study at Stan Winston's shop, of course I would. You hear that, Jay? So if you got connections, 
which actually made me think of something. So like I do a lot of weird animation stuff, you know, handcrafted. And then I also use After Effects. And what I kind of realized is that the two kind of work in tandem. So I feel like there was kind of this thing in like special effects where all the CGI stuff like came in and everyone was like, that's going to kill like the special effects industry. But to me, it seems like the two would work almost in tandem. I can completely vouch for that because I use After Effects all the time. I mean, I like to make my components practical. I got like some miniatures here also, but you can see I use blue screens, green screens. I love using After Effects as like the glue, taking all my practical things and then doing the composite in After Effects. It, it's an amazing tool to have and it hasn't replaced practical. I mean, whereas decades ago, we used to have to use practical for every, like in the never ending story, like there, there just wasn't a choice. That's what you had to use. Now we have the luxury of using CGI where practical would be impractical, but it's a good synergy to use both. In fact, it kind of reminds me of when I first went to college, I kind of had this elitist attitude, like, no, I'm a fine artist. I don't want to learn Photoshop. That's not, that's not being an artiste, <laughs> but I use Photoshop all the time now and it hasn't made me less of an artist when you embrace a technology or a program or a software or, or any that is, is still under that same umbrella like it makes you better at what you're already good at so like for example learning photoshop actually made me better as a fine artist because i still i get commissions all the time to do painting on canvas or wood panels or murals those are all still practical methods of art where you use brushes versus the computer but like just learning photoshop so well has made me more intuitive to it's like okay now that i spend so much time toggling through like different settings like contrast or like hue adjustment or whatever now when i go to paint on canvas like those things are just intuitive i can do it right Away. And After Effects is the same way for practical effects, where I think you just learn, you learn the theory better. I mean, the, the tools are different, but the theory is always the same. That's why you can't just give a program to somebody that's a complete novice at this and have them do something great. It's like, it, like it has to be in here first. And if you're not watching me, I'm pointing to my brain. It has to be in there. Then you can use the tools to make whatever you want. JB Lawrence wants you to tell us about the spider. So I'm doing an animation. I've, I've been kind of tight-lipped about it because it's in very, it's in the very early stages of development, but it's basically a, an animation that's utilizing a lot of puppetry. So I have these legs spring-loaded here because in the final take, this spider is playing music on his, on his spider webs. So there you go, practical, and I'm gonna use CGI for the actual web. This here too, this is a practical piece I made. It's for the same production. I have this like witch cottage here that I've imposed into a digital environment and it looks really cool. The spider has seen better days. He was at his peak performance months ago, but I've moved him around so much. A lot of his joints are actually broken, but he still looks cool and he's still smiling. So I bring him out. So I'm guessing like for the spider, that's a latex skin and then you're airbrushing and painting, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, you nailed it. So for the people who are listening, this is like a spider that's like part puppetry. I don't want to say robotics because it's like hand wound with a latex skin. It's amazing. So if you check out the YouTube page, Kevin Ward's Instagram page, then probably you'll see some of that stuff. I'm going to bring up your instagram page in one moment before we do that though do you want to explain the face-off yes i was on this show called face-off it's a competition reality show where you make a character each week you get your subject you make your creature and then there's 
you know, someone wins, someone goes home until you finally got your champion. And so I was on face off for season nine and then I went back for season 13. It was a lot of fun. It is stressful, but I don't think the stress was too bad. Like the anxiety was bad. The TV aspects of the show, I didn't really care for very much. Meaning like, like once we're at the studio, just having to wait a really long time for everyone to get mic'd to go out onto the stage, have the judges evaluate the work. Then we have to go backstage and the wait just feels like forever. Like that's the part I hated. When we were actually in the lab working, when we were given like 10 hours, to me that was easy. Like everything we needed was there. We didn't have to like run to like Home Depot or the art store like I have to do here in Denver all the time. It's like we just had a complete uninterrupted time to just do our work. The camera was just rolling. Like we didn't have to like perform at all. But during like day three, when you're at the stage, the judges are there. It is still reality, but there is still, it is performative too. I mean, you have to like know your marks. You have to like stand still and like that process it's edited to look like it doesn't take long but it, it really is an all-day thing if you're one of the people that might be going home and they send you backstage to wait it just feels like forever like that's the part of the show i didn't like that sucked we got another comment from mike diaz great writer friend of mine those are great incredible do you use the spider stop motion or do you play it in a regular shoot and photoshop it in well i think it's a puppet it's not stop motion. It's animated in real time. And then it's put into its environment digitally. It's very cool. All right. Now I'm going to bring up your Instagram. Well, here's the cat. People love cats, right? So oh, I get hired to do pet portraits all the time. So, I mean, you pull up my Instagram and right off the bat, I see fine art. So I see painting on canvas. I see digital stuff. I see three, three-dimensional art. Yeah, that was my most recent commission. This is what the people are looking for. I have one of these guys... Yeah, so I just got done with this horror convention, and so Zombie Spongebob was one of the characters that I made. And this brings up a question somebody asked a few minutes ago about what materials I use. Well, it depends on what I'm doing. So for something like this, you start off with a, a type of clay, which I'll show you because I'm also working on a zombie Patrick. So this is monster clay, which is amazing since it's not water-based. It's not going to dry out. So you can take as long as you want with this. You can spend days and days working it, perfecting it. Once you're done, you make your mold. I should plug Reynolds Advanced Materials. They carry all these smooth-on products, which are amazing, including silicone, which is a two-part liquid system that you mix together and it turns into this rubber, which becomes your mold, which becomes the way you make your replicas. So you got your mold, you mix up your resin, pour it in. In this case, you got SpongeBob. That's how I make a lot of my smaller things I sell. So that thing was resin, the SpongeBob? It's three steps. So you start with clay. This is resin. Yeah, this is a two-part resin. Off-gassing a lot of toxic stuff? This isn't. I mean, most of these products are very consumer-friendly and easy to use. And it's not like a dangerous chemical. Like, not, not saying you should be trying to inhale this while you pour it, but it's not, it's not that noxious at all. I mean, do it with good ventilation. But with a mold like this, if you have a flexible mold, I can make these out of different things. I could pour up wax, make a wax copy. I could pour in a stone, pour in some kind of gypsum if I wanted, or resin, or I can pour, I can melt clay down, pour that in here. How many can you do out of one mold? One good thing to do with molds is use spray release. There are some types of materials where it's not even a choice, like you have to. With silicone, you don't necessarily need to because silicone is made to peel away from anything. It's meant to be non-sticky. If you never release it, 
it puts more wear on the mold. So if you do release it, you'll get many more pulls out of it. I, I have some silicone molds that I think I've done like 30 pulls out of before. And it also helps if your mold has more material and it's more durable, it will last you longer. If this was like really thin, obviously it's going to have more opportunity to tear. This one's been holding up fine. I've been casting this one like crazy. What I'll just say is like, if that is something you're worried about, if you're doing this and you plan on creating a lot of something, or if you do anything, if you, if you do something in a manufacturing sense where it's like, you know, you need a lot of them, make a master, make it, make a master cast. And then you can make a master mold also. Do that process knowing that molds do face some degradation after a while and you'll have to do it again. Just have perfect copies that you can mold again if you need to. And I'm guessing with that, it's like with the mold, then you're rubber banding it or like having it kept tight together or putting it back in the box that you made the mold from and then pouring it in, maybe shaking it so bubbles come to the top, right? Something like that. Or you have to like rotate it to get the whole thing. Yeah, and I've done all those things. Like sometimes you do have to do a rotocast yourself, especially if you don't want to waste a lot of resin. Just put some kind of, you know, plug on the bottom, move it around. One thing that helps get air bubbles out is like fill the silicone mold with baby powder first, shake it out, then pour it because the powder will want to pull all that resin down into hard to reach places. Uh, Jay has another question for you. Ever think of 3D printing? I think 3D printing is pretty amazing. I, I haven't done, I guess I really haven't done it at all. I'll, several friends of mine do it all the time and they make really cool figurines out of it and they 3d print stuff that you couldn't necessarily make any other way because the things are so small and intricate i just haven't really done it i i like it i i love the process i i think it's highly impressive what 3d printers are capable of it's just not a tool I, i've utilized just yet and it, it's basically just for lack of having it it's something i i wouldn't mind investing in all right let's go back to your instagram so you were just at, you've been doing the conventions, you said recently, and this was an item that you had at the conventions, right? You know, it's great to be back actually, because, you know, last year, these types of things were put on hold. So this was a very small convention, but I think people were really happy to come out and just, you know, see cool stuff, see cool art. There's a piece, I did that back in high school, 2005 or six would have been the year I finished that one. So for the people who are listening, this we're looking at his Instagram page, and that's Kevin Ward together. Kevin with an O, K-E-V-O-N, Ward together. If you want to follow along, if you're listening to this as an audio cast. And this is a rabbit? Yeah, that was done on a styrofoam fabrication. I did that for a bar here in Denver that is doing an Alice in Wonderland themed event. That, had, that was a quick turnaround time. I had to bust that out in like three days, I think. That's one, that's one thing that was great about Face Off is like it really teaches you to be quick and fast and super industrious. Maybe we could do some do's and don'ts. Are you ready for this? Let's do it. Do's and don'ts. It's not cosplay, but it's, it's not prop making. It's special effects with Kevin Ward. Let's see what he says. I'll start with something that jumped into my head immediately. Don't overuse blood. And people do it all the time. Unless you're going out as Carrie White during the prom, we don't use a lot of blood, especially if you're going to make a really cool gore makeup. Blood is like kind of a cheat. You use blood to cover areas that you didn't do so well on. Like if you watch The Walking Dead, you, you can argue that the, the, the story has kind of fallen pretty flat. But like the production has raised the bar as far as like what zombies, like what good zombies look like. And they're not covered with blood. You see textures. You see just cool like 
details all over them. And I noticed like people go to a lot of trouble to try and then people just throw blood over the whole thing. Like be strategic with blood. It looks so much better. That's my biggest don't. Like I have a thing also, it's like I see a lot of times that like blood in the real world, as soon as it hits air, it becomes almost black. It becomes very dark. And people are always getting the wrong color. They're making it always like this very bright red. And I get for film, like, you know, they want to emphasize blood is red, but it's, I always have this thing. It's like, it's darker. It's so much more, almost like a much darker red. But that could also be an issue with the color correction. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of things. Gore is interesting because it really is such an art. If you think about it, when you look at real trauma photos, they don't look like special effects shots out of, out of a movie. The fake stuff actually has to look better because a lot of times real wounds look fake. You know what I mean? Like if you see someone like gouged open and all this muscle is showing, like it almost doesn't even look real most of the time. So the challenge with gore is like you have to make it look better than actual real gore looks, including like the blood color. So depending on your scene, sometimes it's not just about what color that blood would literally be, but it's like taking into account the lighting, like the tone you're going for. Also rating. I know that when a, a horror movie is trying to get an all audiences trailer. They'll have to make the blood a little brighter, I think, so it's a little less realistic. You know? I never thought about that. That's a that's fun piece of trivia. That's, that's sometimes one reason why blood looks cheesy is because you actually can get by with sometimes a PG-13 rating. Or you can movie It. I believe the blood is a lot darker in the movie, but then for the, the trailer on cable, it's like color corrected to be a little theatrical, I guess. You have another comment from Jay. How did you make the complete, how did you make it look so awesome? It's all in the hair, I guess, which I guess brings me to another don't. If you're going to deal with hair, think about the way hair actually is. The shingles on a roof, you have to start furthest away and then work your way in. So take time. If you're going to do something with hair, take time to do really good hair laying and find something distracting. Turn on like TV or a podcast or something because it's so tedious individual hairs well it depends so like with these arrow monsters the character Icus is covered in hair when we're doing like bulk hair we don't have to be as neat but you do have to layer it when you get like to the hairline like that's when you start hair punching so like with the werewolf i actually got a bunch of different wigs cut them up brushed them together so i had different tones in there and then for like parts of the body that I know aren't going to be in focus. I don't have to be like as careful, but the process remains like start. Oh, that's, that's a tattoo I have. We don't have to look at that. Oh, we're going back now. Well, I, I designed tattoos also. I don't, I'm not a tattoo artist, but I've designed my own and I've designed some for other people. I get this thing where people are always saying like, you got to like stay focused in one traditional kind of like thing. But I like the concept of doing multiple approaching, like whatever your create creativity like leads you to and then it all kind of like works together in some way yeah i don't think i have a choice i mean i drift constantly for example i used to paint all the time loved it thought that was gonna be my whole life and then i went on this kind of 10-year hiatus from it just because i started getting into the effects work i started going to these shops and learning how to do all this that the fine artist took a back seat and then a few years ago i kind of resurrected that i thought you know i really miss doing that so i started doing it again but to me it, it makes me think of say like a musician who's amazing at the piano the guitar 
whatever, but that's how they want to like start playing the drums. They'll understand musical theory, so they'll understand like how to play. Like like the drums is a new technique. I I think the idea remains that if you understand the actual art, you can start using different tools within the arts, and that's how I feel with art. So even though I do drift a lot from two dimensional to three dimensional, from digital to practical, it, it's all the same. Like it all lives in the same family. So even though I do kind of migrate, I'm always staying in the same big box. I might go out of the little box, but I'm always in the same big box. With the digital stuff, we were talking a little about that. You use a tablet and all of that. Are you trying to animate with this or it's just like a flat? Well, this one was meant to be flat, but I do, I do some animation. While we're here, let's cover a lot of don'ts I learned in school. So if you're creating a piece of art and you want it to have a good composition, don't put your focal point right in the center. Someone's going to say, whoa, whoa, but wait a minute, the unicorn is in the center. Yeah, but like its face is in the center. The face is up pretty high. Then you got the gun that's forcing movement. A lot of do's for me, well, a big do, is have strong movement, not just like in um, a two-dimensional piece of art like this, but like in the way you sculpt. Design it so your eye wants to move from one thing to something else. And we see a lot of it because we see we see a directional design with the unicorn horn because it's casting light one direction. The gun flares is forcing movement, but then the movement is forced back because we see these projectile guts, we see splatters, we see zombies moving in different directions. So if you want your, your art piece to not just be like striking at first, but you want your viewer to stay there, make their eyes move around. Like this piece, your eyes just want to keep moving everywhere. There's a lot of stuff going on. I like how the unicorn ray is like, looks like a weapon too. So for the people who are listening to this as an audio cast, it's a unicorn with muscles and a machine gun blasting zombies. His horn is also like- This was a, a commission from a good friend of mine. He said, I want this badass anthropomorphic unicorn blasting zombies with an assault rifle. I'm like, that sounds really cool. He kind of tapped into so many genres here. Yeah, I mean, you could tell I had a lot of fun with it, which is another do. Like, enjoy what you're doing because pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work, I think. Yeah, I always think it's about the process. You have to enjoy the process. And then when you're done with the piece or the work then it's like should be dead to you in your mind so you don't fixate on it anymore at least for me and where did you go to school you said it was in denver yeah i went to the art institute of colorado i wonder during pandemic thing did that affect your business and um, and it must have right and things i guess are picking up now actually great for me <laughs> a lot of what you're going through was during the pandemic era well i mean this was because that was very topical at the time and one of my friends wanted me to do that for him what happened with the pandemic was at the beginning i was working at that theme park eliches and then because of what happened quite a few of us got laid off it, it just forced me to be a little bit more to kind of go after it more as far as the self-employment goes and as far as just hustling and ended up working out great because i think before is when i was working these regular jobs i had enough of this stability that i don't think i was as aggressive as i could have been with just trying to work on my own and then the quarantine forced me to after getting laid off and then i'm like this actually i wish i would have done this years ago and people still wanted art i mean 2020 was a very profitable year for me actually worked for me i'm sorry that for so many it was not the case but 
I've stopped on his Instagram page of a bondage style plague doctor mask. And that's exactly like what the client asked for. So not only did COVID give me a lot of time to work on art, but it also created a little bit of pop culture because now 2020 is forever going to be the year we had to wear these stupid masks. Client hit me up. So he's like, hey, my wife and I are into SNM. So if you don't mind, make this a plague doctor out of leather and buckles and straps. And I said, you got it. Are you sewing that or using a glue gun or? It's both. I usually, with soft goods, I usually will use the glue gun just to get things in place and then I'll sew it. The creators have like one set kind of thing that people are asking for them and you're getting like whatever comes to the imagination, you are able to create it. And it's been very rare that I've told someone, hey, I don't think I'm your guy for this. It, it has happened, but hardly ever. I mean, most of the time people bring something to me and I say, yeah, sure, I'll do it. What is this right here? Is this, did you create this for cosplay or? Partial body paint and prosthetic. These come in a set, so it'll make more sense as we move on. That's yeah. lust. We went out to the club as voodoo dolls representing each of the sins. So like gluttony has his pins in his guts. What we're seeing is like a sketch and then the end product. Is that what it is? That's exactly what it is. Yeah. So these, these are my sketches and my execution. So with each sin, I wanted like the button eyes to represent the sin and I wanted the heart to represent the sin. So like with greed, he has a gold heart, gold eyes, and then he can't see his uh, pins, but his pins are in his pockets, like where the money goes. So like, and since they're voodoo dolls, because we went to a voodoo-themed event that night, I thought it'd be creative if, like, the pins were stabbing each character where, like, their sin is represented. So, like, with Marvel, cool. like, around her pelvis, and greed is in his pockets, gluttony is in his guts. Sloth has, like, disease stitched into her, her eyes are stitched shut. That's me, Wrath. And with Wrath, the pins are outward. Because I've always thought, like, Wrath is the only sin that's not really motivated by self-interest like all the other ones are but wrath is more outward like wrath wants the pins to stick other people and not himself and then envy is disheveled she's made out of hand-me-down parts pride is like trying to augment herself to look as great as possible so we got like the porcelain face we got the pins and the breast implants to represent plastic surgery and then the heart is glass so that, that was, this is a fun series to do conceptually. And there are the hearts. And you were saying before you're doing like animation, are you making your own films and stuff? Yeah, there's there's one animation I'm, I'm trying to work on at the moment that uh, it's, it's just taken a long time because that's how animation is. Over the last few years was working on a dark comedy web series called Bored as Hell. Not animation focused, that's more like creature suits, kind of like a rated R Jim Henson vibe was and that's all on YouTube if anyone wants to see it. Still in the do's and don'ts for doing this on set for, you know, effects makeup on location on sets. Some do's doing creature stuff on set is you have to take in the, comfort the comfortability of the model. So like with the werewolf, I made sure to cut him a P-flap in the suit. I made sure that <laughs> the hands could be removable. The teeth could be removable if need be. You have to think about those things and think about how hot it's going to be. So like, you really just got to babysit your talent a lot when you're doing these types of things on set. Th those are do's and don'ts from like a practical point of view. Like, were you, were, were you wanting me to answer any do's and don'ts like artistically? Well, if we're talking about creature design, silhouettes are powerful. I mean, they, any designer will teach you that. Like when you see Maleficent, you know exactly who that is. If you just see her shadow. So this is the Board as Hell series I was talking about. 
These guys all have silhouettes. That's my Satan. Then those are his hella tubbies next to him. Some words of advice for people that want to pursue the same thing that you're doing. And for the people listening in the audio, the web series he was talking about, Bored as Hell. And I can see it's at least in season two. And you can find that on YouTube and you should definitely go check that out. Thanks, South Park meets Jim Henson meets Saturday Night Live. That's that's your cocktail. If you like those things, you'll enjoy this. It sounds like all things I love. The, the humor is not for everyone, but I, I think it's hilarious. If you want to get into this, um, expect it to be really hard. Expect things to not go right. Find a way to enjoy it because enjoying things is what makes us keep doing it. And in order to excel at something like this, you have no, like you have to enjoy it. And it, it really has to become your life. I mean, anyone who's a professional in anything will, will say that. You don't just casually pick something up and master it. It really has to be something you live every single day. So, I mean, just get started. There's never anything stopping you. And these, like, these days, it's easier than it's ever been to learn something because you can learn almost anything on YouTube. There are blogs you can go to. There talk to other people. Materials are easy to get. I live in a city with a Reynolds. I don't think I'd live in a city that doesn't have one. But, you know, start off with things that are easy to come by. You can order latex. It's cheap. Most stores will have a Halloween section where you can get some latex and just start practicing out of kit stuff. Learn how to do just wounds on your own skin and then get one of those cheap styrofoam heads at Sally Beauty Supply. Get some cheap water-based clay for like 15 bucks. Start practicing sculpting. Sculpt. Start with a skull. If you learn how to sculpt a skull on a face, going to understand how to do all kinds of other creatures because the skull is so fundamental. It's like the basic like blueprints of a zombie because like their skin is sucking and emaciated. The best advice is to just do it. I think we spend too much time talking ourselves out of things. This is definitely an episode that people should go to the YouTube version and check. And it's not like the kind of horror makeup and stuff you expect. There's a lot of seems like 80s sort of aesthetic of comedy. I do like that. I like just disturbing and creepy. The 90s is more my is more culturally relevant to my life. Like granted, there's a lot of 80s movies I love. Great is that people that are creating now grew up in those decades. So the people that loved the 80s aesthetic, the 80s movies and all that, now that they are creators, they're bringing it back. So it's like, we're seeing this kind of like rebirth of just all this 80s iconography. Like we got like Stranger Things and then The Dark Crystal had its own series on Netflix. And then there's just an appreciation for practical. Especially because like once something becomes nostalgic, like we almost like we want it back. So it's it, it's cool when history repeats itself. And that's why like I've never had this fear the practical is going to die. Like it never will. And it's, and like when you have conventions like this, I take these monsters to conventions with me and people love it because it's a tactile. You can like look at it, touch it. If it was digital, it just wouldn't be the same. I'm just waving at you guys. I think it's very appropriate. <laughs> you know, just enjoy this. Like it's fun. It's 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 become work in the sense that like it, it is my job now to do this. But that couldn't have been the case if I didn't dedicate my life to trying to be as good as I could possibly be at this. And I'm still not done. I will always think I need to be better. I I can't look back on things that I've even recently done and think it's perfect like i always have to keep uh moving forward so i just figured it out so my my um my, my parting advice is worry about outdoing yourself because if you do that you'll always get better uh, and, and it's advice i have to i have to tell myself and take also but like if you compare yourself to other people 
their successes, their accomplishments, their life, wherever they're at, you're going to set yourself up for discouragement because you're, you're going to compare yourself to people that and I don't want to say like are, are out of the, out of your league, but it's like, maybe they've just been doing this for decades longer. I mean, you don't know their struggle. Use, use people like that as inspiration. Like use that as something to work towards, but don't like use it as discouragement. Do your best today and then try to outdo yourself tomorrow and just make that your life mission. Make, make that your mantra. And then you'll, you'll keep excelling. Don't necessarily set these outcome goals, but set process goals. Just be like, look, I want to keep getting better at sculpting, drawing, whatever it is. Just do that. That's my advice. Yeah, firm grip. Thank you for watching Infinite Spaghetti. If you like the show, please share, comment, subscribe, rate, review. Shows like this only exist with the constant support of its viewing audience. For great cosplay content and amazing podcasts, head over to projectnerd.com. That's project-nerd.com.